Why so serious? Why shrimp? Basically, shrimps are not what you think. I absolutely hate 80s notes. GPU got burned, melted. It definitely hit the nerve. He went to uh, Pixar, I think it was. This is, this, is, this is CG Talks, the podcast where CG guys talk about CG. This podcast is powered by GarageFarm.net, a place where 3D cloud rendering is incredibly fast and cheap. Hello, hello, CG Nuts. Welcome to CG Talks, the podcast where CG people talk about computer graphics and coffee. Today Ooh. it's a special, special episode because it's completely different because we have two guests instead of one. And uh, today we have also a very specific guest because they are shrimps. And shrimps are uh, maybe not the most creative creatures, but these specific shrimps are very creative. And today I have with me Mr. Gleb Alexandrov and A.D. Burroughs from creativeshrimp.com. And I'm passing the mic to them to introduce themselves. Hi, hi. Uh, My name is Gleb Alexandrov. I'm from Creative Shrimp. Basically, shrimps are not what you think they are. Because mantis shrimp is uh, an animal with one of the most advanced visual systems on Earth. we won't go into detail, but just believe me, it is super, super advanced uh, animal in that sense. So yeah, uh, we do computer graphics. Uh, we run the Creative Shrimp uh, blog with tutorials, and you have probably heard about it if you are in the Blender community. Um, and we are just, I think, trying to make Blender and make computer graphics accessible uh, to anyone. Uh, and that is ironic because our tutorials are not always super accessible. Uh, we always try to make it uh, like clear and understandable, but we often just end up making intermediate content. That is what it is. Hey, it's, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, A.D. Burrows. I'm working with Gleb in Creative Shrimp, and I'm the one that usually pops in and then questions everything that Gleb says just to make sure it like somehow uh, fits in, into... So, for example, when uh, Gleb just spoke about um, maybe our stuff sometimes comes across as a bit intermediate, I kind of see myself as being the the, the role where I'll try and kind of uh play that i'm a very very good village idiot so if it can kind of if i can kind of absorb that information and kind of understand it and then chew it back out right at gleb and gleb understands it absolutely hate i absolutely hate 80s notes (laughs) because when when we finish like creating a course or something eddie always compiles these lists and i just have to go through these lists and make tweaks especially uh, considering like pronunciation issues, because as you can tell, English is not my uh, first language. And we always like go through this kind of process. But on the other hand, uh, hopefully it makes everything better and uh, more understandable for everyone. So that is good, ultimately, I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah, super, yeah, super, yeah. super excited, super excited to have you on the show. And I guess we'll be uh, touching on some of the things that you mentioned uh, regarding your cooperation and uh, doing the courses. But let me kick off the the whole podcast part uh, with the first question: Why shrimp? Why shrimp? That's a good one. <laughs> That's a good question because initially, I think uh, the first name of um, our tutorial uh, channel and stuff like that was something like 
Blender game, uh, that, then we discovered that there are um, like really a lot of things uh, called Blender. I won't name it, but yeah, Blender this, Blender that. And uh, the the next thing we did is basically... Or something tried, Blender, something, you know. Exactly. Blender in the name somewhere. Something Blender. And we tried to just, just uh, I think, go a slightly different path uh, with naming. And then uh, I, I just searched for the domains that were free and unoccupied. And definitely uh, there were no shrimps in the Blender community. So we went with Creative Shrimp to have uh, at least something related to computer graphics and to uh, visual stuff and to creativity. We left creative in it. And the second part was just for, for giggles, I think. It sounded like it could be a rock band name or something, Creative Shrimps. So it was just fun, I guess. Yeah, it kind of sounds like an indie band from the 90s or so. Uh, myself, I when I was guessing, uh, like trying to guess uh, the story behind that, I, I had the, mm, the connotation with the uh, Forrest Gump movie where they bought the mm. shrimp boat. Ah, yeah. That is for making is business. We should mm. use it. We should, next time someone asks us about it, we should definitely go. That will business. be there. Yeah, or you, or you could, you could, you could make up a story about it. Like every time something different. I think. I think yeah, exactly. then, we then we discovered the backstory behind uh, Mantis shrimps and their visual system. So we can probably uh, remember Joker from from the movie, and uh, he 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 told Had a like, different backstory. Yeah, a different uh, backstory. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why so serious? Why shrimp? Why okay, shrimp? so let's let's go for the next one. Uh, then why blender? Why blender? That's easy. That's easy. <clears throat> uh, when I was working in in a game development studio, and we were using 3ds Max and all the jazz, and um, like in the background, there were uh, there was this amazing scene of enthusiasts creating computer graphics using open source software. And I was like deeply intrigued by it. And slowly I switched over to Blender slowly and kind of secretly. And the first project uh, I think I used Blender on, uh, it was a competition called uh, something like uh, Her Majesty's Zeppelins. Uh, it was about uh, the steampunk environments and uh, we won this competition using Blender. Uh, it was practically the first project involving Blender. And then we posted something online, like breakdown or making off. And then we made a first tutorial for YouTube. And once it got online and we received like a handful of comments, I realized that I should probably do just that with Blender. Uh, because this community uh, and the communal spirit behind it, it was something that moved me. And I just wanted to be helpful. I just wanted to be a part of this. I, I guess that was my motivation. Mm. Yeah, for, for me, <clears throat> I remember um, I, was, I studied and learned uh, computer graphics on 3DS Max. Um, the first uh, game industry uh, job that I got was uh, the used Maya. So uh, th th that was um, uh, when when I found out about Blender eventually, that, that which uses more of a modifier system like Max, 
that was like a real um very very useful so i ended up just using that in the studio at the same time and um yeah yeah that that helped so for example let's say you've got a metal beam and or and you're trying to um uh, you want you can use the bevel modifier you can select which edges you want to bevel and then you can set exactly the distance that you want that edge that new edge to be created and it can kind of catch uh, you using that new edge on this metal beam to catch a highlight to get a glint from the lighting in the scene and but you're not exactly sure where the designer is going to place the camera so you don't exactly know how big that bevel needs to be so with um Maya, that's a lot more of a destructive process, whereas with Blender and Max, you can set that in the modifier. So if it doesn't quite work out, you can just choose to indicate a little bit of a different, maybe make it slightly larger or slightly less, rebake it out, take a look in the game engine again, and to, to see how the work is uh, 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 now portrayed, whether you've got the right, you know, that you're, you're pleased with the way that light hits and uh, take it from there. Those kinds of things, having to be as non-destructive as possible with blender and its modifier stack you know that that was just a no-brainer and um it ended up being something which a lot of artists ended up sort of taking a look at and kind of going oh actually um yeah this this we can use this in a number of ways um but there just wasn't a lot of tutorial content at that time this is um around yeah, about which- two point yeah, 2.49, 2.5. 5 had just come out. In fact, I think it was about then. And there still wasn't that much um, educational material out there. So you kind of had to figure it True. out, which is, which is kind of a privileged position to be in, to be in a game studio and to be able to spend, okay, I can spend the next few hours now just figuring this out. Obviously, if you don't get it done, you know, you're on somebody else's dime there. So you can't, I would spend time at home and just figure things out until the job get done anyway. But still. That, that was uh, very attractive. And the thing is, is when you're first starting out and you, all you know about is 3ds Max, all you know is about is Maya, the cost of those applications is massive. When you're a student, it's okay, but you know that's a ticking time bomb. That it's like, you're not gonna be a student for long. You're gonna need to be paying full price for this very soon. Now, in almost everyone's got that person. It might even be you who has all the pirate software and has access to be able to get hold of all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it and... is me. <laughs> it, it is funny because yeah, you said the privileged position, and I, I think I was in in a privileged position because uh, by the time I started using Blender, um, th- there was already a community of tutorial makers, uh, especially on YouTube. And funny enough, I was watching eighty uh, your tutorials basically <laughs> when I was learning Blender. Uh, it, yeah, it, it was so easy to just make this switch because it, it literally took me a month uh, to get acquainted due to the sheer volume of educational content available on YouTube for free. And I think so. so which, uh, they, which version yeah, did you start with? Uh... I, I started, I'm not as old. I started uh, using Blender when it was already 2.5, it was uh, the early days of 2.5. And I just jumped in when the interface changed, because that was like the, yeah. the moment when I realized that yeah, now is the time. Now it has uh, normal 
let's say interface yeah yeah i was the the guy that started uh, using blender just before that so with 2.49 and quite wow. a huge change it was Large quite change. a big big jump in usability and i think it attracted many new users and just reinvigorated uh, the blender movement and the open source computer graphics movement and it, it was the time i just jumped into that boat in case anyone's not particularly aware that to give a little bit of a snapshot the blender at that point didn't have n-gons so really it wouldn't have been it yeah yeah the, at, at that at the new 2.5 when that just started i remember thinking right okay <laughs> like, uh, why is my cylinder caps all got like triangulated and that kind of thing yeah um yeah so but there was like a, a separate build i think uh, that you might have been able to get. So that was eye-opening because then you start to realize, oh, there's all these separate branches and it's moving forward all the time. It's like a new version practically every day. And where did Cycles get introduced? That was 2.6, I think. Yeah, later. So it, it wasn't 2.5, right? Or no. it, it was like early version of Cycles in 2.5, something like that, because I remember like using Cycles right away when I started. I, right, uh, okay. I, yeah, I, I didn't Maybe. use Blender internal, so it must have been cycles. I think, when when I end. first started, everyone was talking about things like Lux, um, yeah, Lux Render, I think it was, um, things like Octane, I think, stuff like mm -hmm. other, basically other um, uh, rendering engines that were integrated into Blender via add-ons. Um, so yeah, yeah, that that was, uh, <laughs> yeah, that that was the yeah. that was the start of all that. But yeah, I, I was mostly out. using it in the game engine kind of idea, really, to be honest. I was very, very really? fixated on games still at that point. Yeah, I was largely focused on photorealistic rendering and stuff like that. Uh, before that, I was using V-Ray, Mental Ray, all that stuff. Uh, and then uh, GPU rendering in Cycles just got me hooked, got me hooked. It was so much more pleasurable, I think, to work with. Uh, having this real-time feedback. I didn't have a strong enough computer. Uh, I think it was some kind of a laptop. And f f funny, I, I, I just burned this laptop uh, after a month of using it because I was rendering like tw 12 hours a day, something like that. And I uh, rendered overnight sometimes and uh, it, it got burned. Its GPU got burned, melted. So uh, I was, I think it was... Uh, the render with uh, with the brushes, something like that. Uh, you, you you have probably seen it on my art station. And uh, it took like sixty hours to fully render. <laughs> After that, the GPU got melted. So that was cycles. <laughs> yeah. How do how do you melt melt stuff in Blender? Exactly. A tutorial, please. Yeah. <laughs> so you just <laughs> render render the hell out of your GPU. Uh, our most popular tutorial, I think, is about. Is about destroying stuff in Blender. It has a few million views, and it shows that it's a it's a really hot subject. Exactly. Yeah, ironically, so. not a still image. Like you, you're probably well most well known for a lot of your still, you know, your still images, and yet that one is just all simulation. That's funny. People still watch it, and we still don't have a proper like destruction system. So it. Uh, it's definitely a space in which, like, anyone can enter now with some add-on or I don't know, mm -hmm. uh, and just make it a huge success. I think.
but uh, but I've seen some you know, early birds uh, of uh, introducing physics to geometry nodes. So mm. oh, really? Exciting times ahead for mm. for this kind of content. Probably we just yeah, have definitely. to wait a little bit. Uh, uh, let let me just uh, switch a little bit to what you mentioned at the, at the beginning when you talked about your collaboration. Uh, you Gleb with uh, AD and like you you mentioned that you started learning Blender watching AD's tutorials uh, and. We can all tell by the results that you as a duet are doing really great. And I, I think that tandem teams are quite a well-tested way of creative, creative collaboration. Um, when I'm thinking about, you know, Lennon McCartney, the Coen brothers, <laughs> Pinky and the Brain, you know, I, you name it. <laughs> What's exactly. your secret formula for, for effective collaboration? Yeah, it's uh, it's always tricky, you know. You know, um, I think the first project that we uh, did together it was Space VFX, if I'm correct. Yeah, uh, it was uh, 80s render. That's I can't quite recall, space. but I think around the same time, or maybe slightly before, with the realistic lighting course, I think I might have done a review. Ah, yeah, just just yeah, but, feedback yeah, for really like fifty-fifty. Uh, like the yeah. project uh, yeah. that we we worked on together was Space yeah. VFX. And after that, hard surface modeling, that was also the thing. Uh, and it just proved to be to be successful, I guess. It just proved to, to be a good process, if not for, for that final fixes stuff. Yeah, yeah. Dis despite the hard comments. Despite, yeah. <laughs> despite yeah. police, policing my language all the time. <laughs> Constant learning for you as well. So, uh, Maybe uh, can you tell me how you manage, uh, you know, uh, living in separate countries? Because uh, you Gleb are now living in Poland, right? Eighties in UK. Yeah, exactly. So how yeah. do you? Is that a challenge for you, or is it like super casual and it's no problem? Yeah, I don't think it is a challenge. It is an opportunity, rather, because uh, when we just started working together, I, I, I was living in Belarus. And uh, uh, in Belarus, there is no such thing as PayPal for receiving money, and just uh, it is hmm. it is a rather complicated process to set up a business, you know, even a business abroad, because all the regulations, and we had to to work around some of them. And yeah, it was just good to be able to do something uh, which is a international. B that supports like fin financial tools that we needed, and uh, it was a part of, uh, of, yeah, of w w what made it possible, I think. But aside from that, I, I don't think it, it, it was a problem. Uh, it just it was a very natural, very easygoing process. And you started that before the pandemic, where everyone yeah way, be way before corporations. that way before that. I think it was seven years before the pandemic. Hmm. Our yeah. first course, uh, Realistic Lighting, was released seven years ago, even eight years ago, something like that. So it was. Yeah, I remember we, um, we. I think we were aware of each other anyway online, but we met at the Blender conference, well, like 2014, 2015, something like that. And um, that was, a, a we had a discussion on one of the dinners over one of the dinners there they have these they, they had these really long tables and loads of people loads of blender heads were sat at that and i was nearby to gleb on at that time and it was yeah, a, a um, beer or two must have been involved yeah and and it was like okay so 
do, uh, you know, why are you not releasing any courses and things like that? And then he explained um, like the, the financial limitations that uh, a lot of Belarusians were under and probably still are, uh, especially at the moment. And uh, it was like, right, okay, well, if there's anything we can do in collaboration or anything we can do, essentially, you know, I'll sort the admin out, you just create and we'll essentially just funnel that through to you as being like a client, like a, you know, hired to create this stuff kind of thing. And it's just like try and pass all the money through, basically. Yeah, it um, worked for us. Then I opened a business in Belarus. Uh, then I closed the business in Belarus and moved to Poland. Now we live in Poland, in Warsaw. Uh, we just keep working using this business that we created at that time uh, in the UK. So we like started an LTD company uh, to just use it for all for the financial stuff. Yeah, and it's an online business, so kind of seems natural for people to yeah, the, yeah we work with people on, from online. all around the world, from Canada, yeah. from the United States, you name it. Uh, yeah, I was going to say it's not that difficult because we're obviously basically within Europe, um, and so the hour isn't really that different. Like the time difference between us right now is only it's an quite hour. Quite negligible. It's an hour yeah. or two. Yeah, one hour. Mm. Yeah. Um, other other people that we've worked with, um, like Chanel, for example, or Rachel, who are in uh, you know more American side. Um, that's wasn't really that much of a difference either because by about mid-afternoon you know they're, they're basically coming online as well and then you've got the rest of the afternoon and the evening to just back back and to a lot of the process is seeing what somebody has created exactly and just providing the feedback yeah and it's not that kind of feedback uh, like where you need to jump on skype and talk not mm. even that just a simple comments uh in, on discord or something i i kind of realize that that might not work for everybody though because the written language is completely devoid mm -hmm. obviously of body language mm -hmm. and tone of voice hence why i i try i try and use as many emojis as possible you know like just to because it's something can be said in jest but it comes across as hurtful you know, and and um, it just it, the, the this is the limitation really of just you know something being written. You know, the tone, like I say, tone of voice, body language is a really really big deal. Um, so some people, I think, if there's tension there, it, the written word can sometimes be interpreted as an always kind of assumed first in the mind. It can be a mindset thing. I think is that it can be. Um, you, your current mindset colors what they have said. So if you're defensive about something and somebody has written something like, why did it take you this long to do this? You kind of think, oh, that's, oh, they're, they're, they're that's accusing me of something. Whereas the reality is it's, it's, it's actually framed more like, wow, how long did it take you to create this? This is amazing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Critique, it can be quite traumatizing <clears throat> and damaging and especially if you are not sure about yeah the emotion and the intent at the time uh so yeah if it's a written text so how do you know yeah it's, it's, I, the, I the more it's room hard. there is for interpretation the more artful it becomes and the more like an art project it becomes so it just back and forth in a chat can be considered art in a sense because it's the you're trying to um 
you on the one hand you've got complete interpretation on the other hand you've got the opposite of that which is i suppose law you know like legal uh command of the language mm-hmm. and yeah. even that or maybe even cold yeah maybe even yes like, yes very true things. and um but especially as as uh, leaning on the legal uh, analysis uh, analogy for a second it's clear that even that gets debated and and um, interpreted in many different ways and sometimes unusual and creative ways as well. So it's it's very hard not to inject some creativity into almost everything, even the process of just um, uh, back and forth and communicating as we are now. You know that that's uh, yeah. There, there's when when there's room for interpretation, it that that's just like a, a, a the the individual or the personality comes through, and that's why. It's maybe not for everybody, um, or at least if you've got a negative personality, that might color everything you see, the kind of art you enjoy, the kind of conversations that you have. And with Gleb and our working relationship, it, I think it, we tend to kind of just assume um, the other person is coming from the right place. And so it kind of makes that interaction very easy. And anyway, we easy. mostly work uh, within the Google Doc or something. Uh, so for us, it's just when we start a new project, let's say, the first thing we do, 100% of the cases, we create a Google <laughs> Doc. Yeah. And we outline, we try to structure structure uh, this project and outline every like major thing about it. So uh, to, just to make sure we are on the same page and we are doing the same project because it's not as straightforward uh especially when when it comes to creative things and we just tend to do creative things it is very important to establish uh the right i guess understanding of on of what are you working on especially if you work with uh, a bigger team uh but yeah we i think we have never we have never did bigger projects that involves three or four people it just it was just two or three most of the time, uh, three, I mean, for example, when we were working with uh, Manu Yarvinen or with uh, Jana Landry, um, they were creating the content and we were just providing our feedback. So it w- wasn't like we were involved, like all of us, you know, in, in, in creating uh, the stuff. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, so so you seem to have come uh, to a nice kind of uh, yeah working balance in that. Mm, uh, so maybe let's talk about the results of it and the latest results that you had uh, of this creative process or uh, a way of collaboration. And uh, I, mean, I mean the latest lighting course that you just released. Uh, Let me just it say, seems uh, to be, uh, uh, it seems to be a huge success. Let's yeah. put it straight. I I wasn't expected like anything of that sort uh it sold more than uh, what is it 1300 mm, so over, copies over. already mm. in just five days yeah. i couldn't have Pretty imagined great. it is i think uh it has all chances to become our i think most popular course so far even beating the hard surface modeling which i thought was improbable or even impossible so yeah mm-hmm. uh, let me just say that i'm deeply grateful and deeply thankful to uh to the blender community which 
just makes it possible, which still thinks that there is some value in our courses. It is unbelievable for me personally to think that so many people could actually enjoy or find it helpful. Uh, can can we maybe play a little bit guesswork why that uh, success like with this particular course? Uh, like someone went, mentioned on, tw on Twitter that it definitely hit the nerve. It hit the nerve. Uh, it is applicable to so many different projects. Lighting is quite fundamental. Without light, there is no vision, surprise. And so many different, uh, let's say, uh, sides of computer graphics industry involve lighting to some extent. Even if you're, say, a 3D modeler, you still uh, light your models and uh, you still have to present them. If you do product visualizations, if you do VFX, if you do, God forbid, photogrammetry, um, anything you do involves lighting, especially, especially if you're into visualization and rendering, then probably 90% of the time you're trying to make it look beautiful, make it look appealing, make it look uh, evocative, cinematic, all these adjectives. And it boils down to lighting. It boils down to fundamental characteristics of light, uh, just uh, uh, how appealing it looks in the end, the aesthetics, or uh, how does it play to your narrative, this function, or how does it make uh, your objects look round and three-dimensional? That's also like quite fundamental characteristic of lighting. Uh, or what mood it cre it creates, like what setting, what mood, what atmosphere, how it helps to describe the location. So uh, all these functions are the functions of lighting more than anything. And you just have to know that. You just have to, to realize uh, how to tweak those things to achieve the result you want to achieve. Yeah, I'm thinking that uh, what you mentioned, uh, light is, yeah, lighting is like a crucial skill for any 3D artist. And it's often like the case where, and it's a like pretty popular topic in, in YouTube tutorials, talking about making things photorealistic. Like this, uh, like a keyword that was uh, hyped yeah, for a long, long time. Photography is literally drawing with light. Yeah, but photorealistic photo is like the realistic part is not really what what most people are about, you know, when making 3D art. It's like rather the other one that you used, cinematic, is like a more, uh, it's more what it's all about because it's it's not just about things looking realistic, like... Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it's just uh, this... But beautiful, uh, as you heightened, mentioned. Heightened realism, you know, yeah. a special kind of realism. Uh, sometimes, is, sometimes you want yeah, mundane look, pleasing. that's also... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think yeah, as, yeah. as you said with the word cinematic, it, it there's a certain um, emotion that's wrapped up in that as well. Like there's a uh, an atmosphere is already within that term, which isn't present in a term like photorealistic. I would say. Mm -hmm. And I think that your trailer that you prepared for uh, for the course it sells the idea pretty well. Like the the objects that are shown are not specifically. Um, mind-blowing you say you might say it's like very simple indeed very, very simple, simple objects but they can, are yeah lighting can make even the simplest of objects like the famous spheres that 
everybody uses uh, that uh, when you you have to showcase your lighting setup or something like that. You use a sphere, and even a sphere can look gorgeous depending on what you do with lighting. Uh, you can like move the lights in such way uh, to show the silhouette. I don't know. You can you can make it look flat. Flat. Uh, you can make it look three dimensional. Anything in between. You can throw some shadow pattern and make it look like it's a nighttime scene. Or you can do so many things just with lighting. That's uh, the most, I guess, appealing thing about it, about uh, learning uh, how to set a proper lighting. Mm, so uh, if you would describe like, to our audience right now who is interested in the course and maybe wondering whether to buy it or not, uh, who who is this yeah, course yeah, yeah, for? Yeah, you, you mentioned mean, that, target, you, that you're aiming to be audience. accessible, but sometimes it's, you, you tend to make intermediate content. Like, who is it for? And what are the benefits uh, a 3D artist will get from the course? I think it is, uh, simply speaking, it's for those 3D artists who want to level up their lighting skills, to put that broadly. I think that that is fair enough to say that. And especially for the people who are interested at the same time in making it uh, look cinematic, you know, in making it uh, look like it's coming from that aesthetic side of of the spectrum. And it's it's about uh, like which is still linked uh, to the narrative. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, is it using the uh, the real time engine, uh, EV or or we're using both? We're using both. We're using both. Um, we use, I think, mostly cycles uh, because it is closer to the way the light works in reality. And it is closer to the way uh, the light works when you set up lighting on stage on or on, on a movie set. Um, I think we use lots of things that actually are inspired by real cinematography, like the light modifiers, uh, that kind of stuff. That we try to to be inspired by the process of photographers, by the process of cinematographers, and to take some of these principles, techniques, and intuitions into the realm of three D. I think that that was at least that was my main motivation. I I'm very interested not only in computer graphics but also in photography. I've become really interested in it over time. Um, uh, how the lenses work how the light gets like transported to the sensor and then how you post process it to deliver the final image and uh, how you modify the light on location and on stage and how to work with the light available on location it's a totally different process uh, when you compare it from working from scratch in 3d where you can just clear things up and set up a blank slate clean slate and just work uh, step by step and um, if you go to the other end of the spectrum where you have some light available on location and then you trim down some parts of that light and uh, work within the limitations that's another mindset which, which is very interesting to take to 3d to blender uh, just try to work like that and actually speaking about that we present two of these let's say, mindsets in our course, how to work from scratch and set the light layers one by one uh, and how to start with basically with the available light 
we simulate it uh, with the help of the HDRI lighting, and then we just take it from from there. Mm, I think it's like it's an interesting topic, really, because the the most used or most understood that I think most people would research, they kind of come very very quickly against three point lighting. You know, it's almost like the it's almost like oh it's to light something you just need three point lighting and that's it and uh it's it's kind of like fascinating to see um you know people who are known as being uh amazing lighting artists people like roger deakins working on film sets and to yeah, see exactly. i think i think it was they so funny when, into... when you showed me this link yes yeah he he went to uh pixar i think it was uh during the wally stage and to try and educate some of the staff there as to three-point lighting and he realized he really really struggled because i don't think he'd ever done it <laughs> so yeah, i don't it, think it, he has a concept of three-point lighting at all yeah his process so, is completely different he starts from a completely different perspective on lighting. exactly yeah and three-point lighting is overrated anyway i i find it like not super helpful to start with three-point lighting like right away uh, as your basic setup. Your final setup will often involve some approximation of three-point lighting. You will eventually arrive like at that point. But to start from three lights uh, is not super helpful uh, because I find it super useful to have uh, a concept of uh, the key light or the dominant light or the main light uh, just one general direction, one main light source, and start from that point. It's much more productive, I think, uh, because uh, that, like uh, a very common mistake uh, in, in all kinds of renders, photos, and you name it, is just having too many light sources and just a, a few conflicting ideas of light, like struggling. Uh, the way to clear this mess is uh, to establish the key light. It is a very simple principle, yet super effective one. Yeah, the 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 what's working against most art, most artists is probably they've built something and they want to show it. So you also want to present a mood, but at the same time you're kind of going, I really want to show off this bit <laughs> I modeled though. Yes, you know. Yeah, so this, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, this happens in movies as well. The conflict. Uh, between, let's say, the aesthetic fun function and uh, the function of what is useful to the narrative at that moment. Because, yeah, aesthetic function just tells you, show the three dimensions, you know, in the most pleasing way, like put this giant soft light source to show a beautiful light fall off on the face. And then maybe... Uh, Maybe the narrative calls for a completely different thing, uh, as you have said, for something mundane, you know, like to make it look as boring as possible. Maybe that's what you need. And these conflicting motivations like uh, prevent you from realizing that. It is very interesting uh, subject to talk about like how the light functions, um, what, what, what to prioritize at that moment. And I think a lot of like uh, I think many 3D artists uh, tend to prioritize naturally the aesthetic function 
like to make it look glamorous, like you said, eighty, basically to to establish like uh, a strong read on the main shapes to present it uh, like in a more uh, three dimensional way with the most depth and stuff like that. That is interesting indeed. Yeah, that's um, what you said. It, like, seems to me like the the biggest challenge for for any three D artist is really being aware of what you're doing and uh, like deciding on, like being decisive in your actions and being conscious, because uh, and that's that's kind of hopeful maybe for for the whole uh, AI thing that's coming. And uh, <laughs> at the end, you have to you have to kind of choose. <laughs> What's the result that you really want? And uh, there, in that ca- in that sense, there will no, never be uh, the make perfect render uh, mm. button because there are there's so many variables, and the perfect render might not mean the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The perfect render case. must be uh, really intentional. It's all about well, the communicating the intent. Like, it is really precise. Okay, uh, at so least it should be. So maybe let's talk about, uh, you already kind of have a quite big portfolio of courses and the latest course is, uh, is also uh, impressive. Um, but what is uh, the course that you dream of making and yet have not decided to do? Oh God, that's, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. I think we, we have brainstormed a couple of ideas, but I, we want to do so many different things. Uh, we want to make games, you know. Uh, we want to, uh, to release a rock album. How about that? Yeah, we, even outside of uh, the courses stage, uh, like we would like to experiment with many different things. Really, maybe make a CG movie at some point. That would be interesting. Uh, I think that's something that we can technically do. I'm not very good at uh, writing, I think. But aside from that, we have everything we need, I think, to make it work. Oh, that's that sounds exciting. And I'm thinking that right now we're over over 40 minutes. So uh, these topics will be definitely we'll be catching up on them uh, in the next parts of the of the podcast. Uh, and to sum up, maybe this. Uh, this round, uh, I'll also ask you, because uh, I've seen online on the social media that some people are already sharing results from the lighting course uh, from Creative Shrimp. And, yeah, especially uh, on our Discord. Are, mm. oh, so so I wanted to ask about places online where, where people can find uh, people can other find people's us. work and, and inspirations and uh, maybe a hashtag. People can find us on Twitter, uh, either on my Twitter or 80s Twitter. Uh, we have a Discord community. Uh, and that is the place to share your work in progress and just ask questions. We have a student's chat for the lighting course students there, uh, as well as the dedicated support channel. Uh, and we are monitoring these channels. So if you have any questions or if you run into any roadblock or if you get stuck, uh, we will definitely help you to get unstuck. And um, it is such a great thing the community because yeah sometimes we receive questions that we are not immediately aware of how to respond to them how to fix this issue and sometimes the community like fixes it itself people communicate yeah there was a recent example was the mac operating system which we don't use 
Um, but somebody was having a, a crash issue, for example, and then it turned out to that somebody else related that and said, oh, yeah, I was having a very, very similar issue. It turned out to be an add-on. Try this. And so they were amongst themselves. That was extremely heartening to see um, just people. Yeah, I mean, that's what the Blender community is like anyway, really, though. Yeah, that was yeah. cool. That's 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 a note I really want to end this part on, like the community, because this uh, this will be uh, a link to the next part uh, where we will be talking about Blender future and the community and all stuff related. So thanks thanks again for for doing this part. We'll do a short break and we'll be back to thank the you. CG talks once yeah, again. Thank you. and Pleb. at GarageForm.net. You'll find many 3D rendering solutions. Use coupon codes visible on your social media channels during registration to boost your account up to $100 of free render credits and check how quick and life-saving 3D cloud rendering is.